go ahead and uh, dismiss the kiddos with Larry. I think Larry's taking them up this morning. Thanks for serving, Larry. Uh, you can turn your Bibles to Galatians. We're going to be taking up the next portion there. Uh, but I just, I, I don't know if you get this, but I, I'm, I'm going to just encourage, stay in that posture of honor and adoration before the Lord. When we, when we transition to the Word, we are not leaving this place of worship. We're staying there. We're staying there. So, and I, I even before um, praying, uh, jumping into things i just want to encourage you if 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 you're here this morning and you're like man those words are hard for me to sing because it seems theoretical i don't know the reality of it i just want you to know like uh, we want to pray for you the goal the goal of all of this is that you would have conscious connection with the living god not a theory not a religion, not some kind of place you go on Sunday and you kind of talk about things, but it has no true experience. If you don't got experience in your life, but you know the ABCs in the gospel, ooh, you're in a vulnerable place. You gotta let that produce hunger in you, if not desperation in you to say, God, I must have you, I must have you. Look, for James and I, we see the things, we see life on the backside of Sunday mornings. And seeing that life on the backside of Sunday morning gives us even more desperation to say, God, we must have you. We could have all, we could have all the head knowledge of who he is, and it's not going to change you. It's not going to save you from the circumstances that inevitably will come your way. It's not going to undo your heart the way you need your heart undone, right? We must, we must have not only the truth of the Lord, but we must have the Lord. <laughs> spirit to spirit engagement. So when you sing these songs, man, these are not words we're singing. We're not even trying to muster this up. Right? This, this is just fluid. This is just what happens when we have encountered the living God. We have to sing. <laughs> we have to sing because he's just beyond words good. <sighs> I had a whole thing for mothers this morning that I wanted to start with. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Um, I echo James' statements earlier. Um, I find myself with that same kind of zeal that I've just been speaking, I find it even this morning on Mother's Day where it is, uh, it's not so much about the sentimentality of the moment, which has its place and its rightful place, but uh, we live in a world where motherhood is under attack. People don't have children. Women have children. Women, from gender to role to how those roles are lived out, oh, God's design is beautiful, it's right, it's good, it's to be honored, and the reason why it's good and it's to be honored and it's to be protected in a culture like we're in 
is because it demonstrates, as James says, something of, the, of God's character. He is a nurturing God. Even his name, El Shaddai, has motherly intuitions to it. It, has, it carries this idea of this, if I could say it this way, it may sound heretical, but a multi-breasted one. He is the one who nurtures, right? That's his character. Motherhood is a particular dimension of his character that is imaged in a beautiful and necessary way for the health of families, for the health of society at large. And so it's, it's right for us to just stop and honor moms. Every one of us came from the warmth of a womb. It doesn't matter what your relationship with your mom now is. But there was a grace upon your life. You felt the warmth of a womb. Even my own foster boys, I don't know what their relationship with their biological moms are going to be as they grow up. I don't know. But we honor their moms. We honor them. Because from them came this beautiful life. From the warmth of their womb came these young children. They're valuable. And so we honor the grace of where this life has come from the grace of the warmth of that womb. So we praise God. We bless moms here. For those who want to be moms, we bless you. For those who struggle in relationship to your mom, we bless you. We bless you to say, oh, honor the grace that is there. If not perfect in relationship, that's okay. You can still honor the grace of God that you've experienced from your mom. You experienced the warmth of a womb. Uh, for all the ladies, moms or not, there's... Roses, take those roses with you. Grab one as you, as you leave this morning, just as a token. Uh, let that crimson red rose remind you of the sacrificial love of our God that is oftentimes depicted in the role of motherhood. Uh, so grab a rose as you, as you would leave this morning. Galatians chapter one is we're heading, where we're heading. I'm gonna exhort you to stay in that place of worship this morning. Don't move on. We're not just getting heady without maintaining a place of just kind of worshipful adoration before the Lord. Uh, that's where the ears of our hearts begin to be open when we just stay. Okay, Lord, I'm here to honor you. I'm here to come under your authority. I'm here to receive from your word this morning. So Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 10. Just before reading that, last week we can consider just what the gospel is. We'll review that a little bit in just a moment, but we recognize that there is inevitably within us and within our world a resistance to the truth of the gospel. We see it in atheism. We see it in performance Christianity or religiosity, right? That I can build my own way as a sinful person to a holy God. And of course, pluralism plays a big part within our world that says, eh, whatever path you pick, it's going to get somehow to God. Those are a, a resistance to the truth of Jesus. You, you can't take in the truth of Jesus and abide by any of these three points. People will try. Yeah, you could have Jesus and kind of do what you want here, right? What we find then is even for Christians, we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We know what it is to experience the forgiveness of sins, but then we go on in our life. We come to relationship with God, but we go on in our life kind of abandoning the gospel that we were saved by in the first place. 
and we begin to add performance. Oh, I still need to be good in order to be acceptable in the eyes of others or in the eyes of God. Oh, oh my. We pick up politics. You can't truly be a Christian unless you lean red or you lean blue, whichever it might be. Or psychology. I'll, I'll trust in Jesus that he gives me kind of the uh, get out of hell free card. But when it comes to functioning in life, well, I'm going to abide by the, the, the worldview of psychology to understand myself, to understand my problems and navigate through life in those particular terms. That is a resistance, as we saw last week, as Galatians is pointing. That is a resistance to the gospel. The gospel is, yes, what we are saved by, but it's what we continue to live by. You never abandon, you never grow out of the gospel, of who Jesus is, of what he's done. As you received him, so walk in him, as Paul will say in the book of Colossians. So it's inevitably we find this resistance to the gospel and what the book of Galatians, this letter from Paul to these churches in Galatia, which is modern day Turkey, this is what he's getting at. And folks, there's no difference for where we stand today. We stand with the same kind of issues of resistance to the glorious gospel that we find in Jesus Christ. So let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. The Apostle Paul states, he says, I am astonished. Those are strong words right there. <laughs> that If you were in conversation with the Apostle Paul and you were speaking in... Uh, English rather than Koine Greek, that would be a, a kind of a startling moment in conversation. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, that is God the Father, who called you in the grace of Christ, and listen, are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, if it gets really crazy spiritual, you know, and, and, and they're showing up to you and they're preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, Paul says, let him be accursed. There's actually swearing in the Bible. That's what he's saying. He's saying, damn you. Verse 9, Paul says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be damned, accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Oh, you want what you want? Okay, so I'll just back away and let you do what you want to do. Am I trying to please you? If I were trying to please man, I would not, in fact, could not be a servant of Christ. Uh, I grew up with two older brothers. Uh, Thirteen years later, uh, my parents had an oops, right? And along came my younger sister. And so for 13 years, uh, I was kind of the, the runt of the litter, so to speak, you know, following the older brothers, but that gave me an advantage uh, because watching them grow up, you began to see kind of how they navigated things with mom and dad. 
you know, what they could get away with, what they couldn't get away with. And, and so in some ways you'd sit back and you'd just watch and, oh, that didn't work out. You know, dad's getting on him now. You know, and so you're watching things play out and learning from it, right? Uh, even when it would come to some of the just the typical stuff of growing up from driver's license to uh, just kind of the social life at school and all of that kind of stuff as it related to home curfew and all that kind of stuff. You know, that then to actually, you know, the college days and, and getting your first job and getting engaged and getting married and all this kind of, having kids, all that kind of stuff. You're watching the older brothers as they navigate these moments in life. And while all of our lives are unique, there are some common, even unavoidable challenges that inevitably we all face. And so as a younger brother, I got to benefit from that. I got to watch and learn. In some sense, the church of Galatia is like our older brother. They've grown up and gone before us, and, and there are unavoidable challenges, of course, that the church in Galatia is facing that we will inevitably unavoidably face as well. And if Galatia, the churches in Galatia, are like our older brother that we can kind of learn from, well, the voice of the Apostle Paul is kind of like dad stepping in and saying, hey, you can't get away with this. You should be aware of that, right? And so in this particular text that we just read, there are two unavoidable enemies to our faith in the gospel. Two unavoidable enemies to our faith in the gospel. The first is the unavoidable enemies without. Right? Paul states in verse 6, check out the text, he says, I am astonished that you are deserting him who called you. This is no normal way for Paul to begin his letters. He, he never just jumps into this I am astonished. Paul is always ready to give thanks to God for these churches. He's always ready to encourage them with something. Like even the church of Corinth. Was that a strong, healthy church? No. <laughs> right? They're, they're getting drunk during communion. Like, let's have communion. And, you know, and we're taking a few too many. And getting drunk. Can you just imagine? Uh, the, the chaos that that would look like in our city. <laughs> we're, we're getting drunk during communion. You know, there's sleeping around that's happening, even within family units, which is absolutely crazy. You know, this was the church of Corinth. They're confused about the resurrection. A lot of serious things are going on. But even Paul, when it comes to the church in Corinth, slows down in his introduction to them and says, oh, here's, here's so many things that I'm thankful to God for about you. He slows it. He doesn't slow down here. And the question is, why? Why does Paul just jump into things with such a, oh, if we could say, it's kind of his dad voice coming out. You know, dad is just like, you better watch out. When dad says certain things in certain ways, all the family just stops. That's the moment here. I am astonished. And the question is, why, why, why Paul? Why Paul? Why are you so lenient with the crazy church, Corinth, and yet you're so kind of cutthroat with the Galatians? What's the difference of tone? Well, the idea is this. It's not a moment of fatherly correction as it is a moment of fatherly rescue. 
You see, I speak differently to my children if it's an ordinary correction, perhaps even a serious correction, versus if they're actually walking into a busy street. Happened this past week. Jabari, stop! Right? He's right about to step out into the road. There is no time for just conversation. It's not about just mere correction. This is about a rescue, and that is why Paul doesn't take time for encouragement and just dives into this rebuke. I am astonished. And what is this kind of life-death moment that's being encountered here? Well, it centers on this thing we call the gospel. The gospel, by definition, on the screen, I believe. The gospel is, the word itself is euangelion. It's, it, it's, it was actually the word given to uh, when a army would go out, defeat another army, and they would come back into town, and it would be the good news of victory. It's the victory celebration, right? That's the good news. So the gospel is the good news. It's the victory celebration that Jesus lived the life I could not live. You know that? Your life's not perfect. You're not good. He died the death I deserve to die. He went to that cross to pay for my sins. And he was raised again. In, order, in other words, it, my sin and the consequences of my sin didn't keep him down. But he was raised again. Also that those who trust in Jesus, check this out, freely, not performance-based, freely, they freely find forgiveness of sins, covering for their shame, and relationship with God. Because of all that Jesus does as a sinful man, I can now be reconciled to a holy God. From an enemy to family. I'm his. Freely in Jesus. That is the gospel. That's the good news. That is the exclusive, I should say, good news. But what I want to make even more clear about this gospel message, this life and death matter, is emphasized here in verse 6. Paul says, Notice, he says, you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're turning to a different good news. Paul is saying that you turn from one good news now to another. And it's important to notice Paul can't then conceive of this gospel, of this good news, in merely propositional statements. He can't conceive of the gospel just by way of a definition. The gospel is not fundamentally a definition, but a covenantal or relational reality. Therefore, to turn to another gospel isn't merely to reject propositions or to neglect a definition like we see on the screen, but to actually abandon a person. You have deserted him who called you. And this is precisely why in other portions of Scripture, Jesus will encourage people. There is a time coming where we will worship 
the Father in spirit and in truth. Christianity by nature is a spirit-to-spirit connection with God that accords with the exclusive truth of the gospel. You need both the definition and the experience. If you hold only to statements of truth, if you sit back and say, I believe that, but you have no clear understanding of the experience of relationship with God, you will lean towards cold traditionalism. It's like holding a marriage license in hand with having no kind of concept of intimacy with a spouse. Or, on the flip side, if we only have experience and no definition, it's like having intimacy with a person without the license of marriage. In the least, it becomes this unstable emotionalism, and at least within Christianity, at most, it becomes like this adulterous demonism. You may be experiencing something, but it ain't Jesus. Paul cannot conceive of the gospel without a true definition and a relational experience. Right? To truly believe that is to know relationship. To know relationship is to truly believe that. I know in whom I have believed because I've experienced it and I know who he is by way of truth. And it's this gospel, this life and death matter, that becomes vulnerable to attack when we lean one way or the other. And so Paul goes on to state, verse 7, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And the idea of troubling is like getting an upset soul. Instead of the upset stomach, it's the upset soul. It's where your faith gets shaken, kind of in the face of adversity. Jesus will use this same term, troubling or troubled soul, when he's going to the cross. He will say, now my soul is troubled, but for this purpose I have now come. And it's in these cases that oftentimes our soul becomes troubled because there is enemies without. As Paul says, there are those who come in to trouble your faith. False teachers shaking the faith of the Galatians in this situation. Now, of course, when it comes to any kind of enemies that trouble the soul, they certainly don't announce themselves as enemies. Martin Luther, in his commentary, he states this. He says, heretics do not advertise their errors. Murderers, adulterers, thieves disguise themselves. So the devil masquerades all his devices and activities. He puts on white to make himself look like an angel of light. Hence, at the end there, Martin Luther says, hence the German proverb, all mischief begins in the name of God. Hitler did everything he did in the name of God. Right? Oh, this is of God. Oh, that is of God. But it doesn't mean that it's right. The enemy will never come in and say, hey, I'm the enemy. I'm here with error for your soul. I'm here to trouble you and to lead you away from Jesus. No, he will look good. It will sound right. It will seem influential. It will seem to give life. And in the end, it will only produce death. 
so to Paul's point. It's a distortion of the gospel. It's the idea of hearing this cultural voice saying, oh, you don't need an exclusive Jesus. You don't need exactly a divine Jesus, that Jesus is God. We don't exactly need a sin-bearing Jesus, a bloody cross Jesus. We don't need an experiential Jesus. Let us just sit in our traditionalism. They'll say, have Jesus if you must, but we don't really need these primitive kind of fear-mongering principles of discipline and hell. Just be true to you. Just be true to you sounds nice. <laughs> but it is death. From multiple avenues of kind of just stuff that I've been listening to this past week, this is the narrative today. It's the, again, and, and it is loud. And particularly, it's aimed at the younger generation. The enemies without these false teachers that want to come and trouble the soul... Oh, just flip on a popular podcast. Just listen in to the news of our day. The cultural voice is troubling hearts and lives to say, you don't need this life-giving reality. You don't need Jesus. You know, just put Jesus as a piece of all the other things you want to be and do in this life. It's ironic then as a pastor that as we sit behind the scenes and, and actually deal with the matters of people's life, that it is chaos in their life when they abandon this reality. When they give in to the cultural norms, it is death. And yet the culture still sits back in this nice kind of like, kind of, oh, just be true to you. Be true to you. It's okay. It's okay to question things. And it's okay to just kind of be led by your own feelings and do what you want to do. Like, be true to yourself. It leads to death. You follow your inner self. We'll get a little bit to that in just a moment. But you follow your inner self and it will be death. But this is the distortion of the gospel that people are kind of being tempted with today. Troubling the souls by way of these cultural voices. Now, Paul has words for such enemies. Right? Verse 8 and 9. It's not enough to say it once. He says it twice, right? As subtle or not so subtle as these false teachers might be, as reasonable or heavenly as they might be, as Pauline or kind of angelic as they might be, if they preach another gospel, let them be what? <laughs> let them be a curse. Like, Paul's not messing around. He's not, well, let's, let's have a logical uh, discussion about the voices of these false prophets, of the voices of our culture today. He's just straight up saying, if it's anything outside of the beauty of this gospel, let them be damned because they are only producing death in your life should you give in to their agenda. So again, these false prophets, they are beyond correction, they are adamantly coming against what is the exclusive means of life of the, 
of redemption for people. They're getting in the way of that. They're getting in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to that end, Paul doesn't just warn the false teachers. He doesn't seek to hear them out, see, what, uh, see where they are coming from. No, there is no dialogue. He straight up condemns them. Now, today, false teachers, preachers are unavoidable. They are the unavoidable enemies of the gospel. They're constantly on the airwaves and on channels gaining great popularity because they can tell a good story, they can turn a good sentence, but they leave you more confident in yourself than in Jesus. And if you ever have wondered, if you've ever wondered, well, how do I know if it's a false t-? There's your test. Does it leave you more confident in yourself or more confident in Jesus? If you feel better about yourself without feeling a need to get on your knees and worship to Jesus, you must, you most assuredly are listening to a false gospel, a damnable gospel. Doesn't matter, again, how important, how influential those people are, how many followers they have. It doesn't matter if they are showing up in some vision of light as angels from heaven. If you are more confident in yourself than in Christ after hearing them, they are a false teacher. Now, I, I want to say that being very careful because there is more division within the church than there should be. There is more, oh, he didn't say it this way, he doesn't take my position on that and this, and there's all these kind of divisions going on within the church, and we call one another heretics when we're not heretics. So we have to be careful, but once again, if it's leaving you more confident in yourself than in Jesus, you know this is not the truth I need for myself. All right, so that's the unavoidable enemies without. Got to look to the the older brother of Galatia, and say, hey, like, how, how did you navigate this? You got to listen in to that fatherly voice of Paul and, and take it in. Okay, Paul, how do we do this right? Let's not be confident in ourselves, but in Christ. Secondly, <laughs> there's the unavoidable enemy within, and then this is more brief, but the point is this. You will be your greatest challenge. Forget forget the voices of the culture. It's you. It's what you are saying to yourself. Even uh, Martin Luther. You know, I don't know if you know Martin Luther's story, but like Martin Luther, man, he did war against the Catholic Church. Right? He, He went tooth and nail, even giving up, willingly giving up his very life to kind of go against the Catholic Church that was saying, hey... Do the sacraments, and hopefully, maybe in the end, you'll be good to go with Jesus. And he's saying, no, no, no. He's getting to the reality of the gospel that it's freely given. This is a gift freely given, even as sinners. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. It's him who freely grants us this relationship, right? And so Martin Luther went to battle with the Catholic Church, and so, but even he will state this. He'll state, I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all his cardinals. I have within me the great Pope (laughs) self, right? I am my biggest challenge. 
Now, today, there is a growing cultural perspective that says, again, my feelings determine truth. I need to be true to me. Whatever I feel goes, at least for me. So how I feel about myself determines my gender. How I feel about myself determines who I prefer sexually. How I feel about the issues of our world determines what is true, at least for me. And not only that, but the way the culture is going, not only that, but anything that offends my feelings is an act of injustice, a criminal offense, right? And this perspective oh, has been adopted by many parents. So parents themselves are trying to coddle the emotional life of their children in fear that if the child's feelings are hurt, they are, as parents, criminal. They have done irreparable damage to their children. So as one social psychologist in his book, The Coddling of the American Mind, states, he says, a culture that allows the concept of safety to creep so far that it equates emotional discomfort with physical danger is a culture that encourages people to systematically protect one another from the very experiences embedded in daily life that they need in order to become strong and healthy. What is that saying? In other words, without engaging the world in a way that my feelings actually might be offended is to actually keep myself from growing in the very ways that are necessary for my well-being. It's not criminal or unjust to have my feelings hurt. It's actually necessary. It aids my development as a person. This is coming from the social sciences. But to our point in the text, the enemy within self must be offended, not only for something of your emotional resilience, but for the sake of your spiritual life. While Paul takes issue with these false teachers, who ultimately does he call to account? Who's he calling to account here? Look at verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are deserting him who called you. You are turning to a different gospel. You see, the way that you came to know Jesus is by humbling yourself under the fact that you were a sinner. Does that feel good to the self? No, right? That's an offense to me. I'm good, I'm not bad, I have it together. I'm not, I'm not in need of some sovereign to intervene in my life. But Christianity begins by recognizing that you are the problem in need of a savior. You must embrace the offense. And by the way, you continue to grow in relationship to Christ, isn't allowing the self a say, but it's consistently putting the self to death. Again, so that the life of Christ might be lived out in you. The Christian life is a life of constant offense to the self. As soon as I begin dodging those offenses, I begin missing out on God's grace. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
C.S. Lewis will say that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not just beating yourself up, but thinking of yourself less. It gets to the point where I'm free from being so self-dependent, self-focused, self-aware. Victim mentality goes into all of that. Self-pity goes into all of that as well. Self-pity is just the opposite side of the same coin as pride. And so it's allowing this good news of Jesus. Oh, offend my, the self. Offend me at a deep level. Offend my pride, please, Lord Jesus, so I don't keep ruining my life. Come in and offend my heart. And, and let me embrace it for all it is. For if I begin to dodge the offense of the gospel, I begin to dodge the very grace of God upon my life. And so this is why then Paul concludes in verse 10 by saying, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? He says, if I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is saying, I'm not in this for man's approval. I'm not in this to kind of coddle your inner self. He says, if I do that, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. And the implication is, if I'm, if I'm just looking to coddle your inner self, then I have no ultimate grace for you. So then it stands once again. How do I know if I am losing to this unavoidable enemy within the self? Well, it's quite similar to the way that you know you are listening to a false teacher, right? Who are you most confident in? The self or Christ? Who gets the most attention in your life? The self or Christ? Who determines the choices of your life, the self or Christ? And if you go through those questions and you say, oh, yeah, man, I listen to myself all the time. Oh, yeah, what I do during my day, what I do with my life decisions. Oh, yeah, it's based upon my own wisdom. What I give most attention. Oh, yeah, it's me. And it, if that's you, let the gospel cut you. <laughs> let it then cure you. It has to go through the offense of the gospel before you can get to the grace of the gospel. you got to recognize your need before you can recognize all that Jesus is for you. It is to humble yourself. Humble. I don't want to think about me anymore. I don't want to be the one determining my own destiny. I don't want to be caught up in is my self-esteem full or on E. I want to be determined by what others think of me. I want my life. I want to feel it. I want to feel that my life is established firmly on all that Jesus is for me. My worth, my significance is in him. My adoration and affection is for him. My destiny and my purpose is determined by him. Therein is life. It's life. And I am, uh, I'm all the more just wrenched up about this stuff because of some of the things I listened to this past week. There are so many people throwing stones at the church, glorying in the fact that they deconstructed their faith. 
And their story goes, oh, hell, hell is so offensive. Why should we train up children thinking that there is this hell? How, how, how fear-mongering that is. That they can't be whom they feel they are as young children. This, this oppressive Christianity that promises you joy, even as we sang about, but I never can attain it. How oppressive. This is going to become more and more the cultural voice against Christianity. And church, you better buckle up. You better buckle up. What God is going to do through this persecution that is coming our way is going to cut the fat right out of the church. All this, I come to church, I do Christian things to kind of make myself feel better. You will not stand under the persecution of this, what's coming. You will not stand if you make Christianity all about you, which many people do. I'm here to feel good about myself. I went to church. I hope you go away <laughs> from here this morning uh, looking to Jesus. Like, i got to get my gaze off myself and to the one who is life. The church is going to go through it in the coming years. You best be ready. You better get your kiddos ready. You get, better get your families ready. It's coming. The unavoidable kind of challenges of the Christian life will be enemies without and enemies within. For us as Christians, the call is to guard your heart by letting Christ be all, everything, all. By way of kind of closing, and you guys can come on forward, um, what I want to do is pray specifically for those who may feel as though um, they're in a place of having a troubled soul. The soul is upset. It, it's on shaky ground in some sense. Like, like you know Jesus, you know, you know the definition of the gospel perhaps, you know you want him, and yet there's this troubling of the soul that just you just feel like, I can't, I, I can't quite get my heart around who he is and find firm foundation there. And I, I, I know the definite, but I don't know the experience. And so my heart is troubled with all these different, uh, perhaps cultural voices. And maybe it's not the cultural voices without, maybe it's the internal stuff within, just I'm battling through self, but self is always winning. Are you troubled within? And if that's the case, like, I want you to translate that trouble into hunger for Jesus. Hunger. Let it make you desperate. Let it make you desperate. This is not just kind of like, uh, we're, 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 we're not just talking platitudes. This is life or death. This is eternal destiny. If you feel doubt in your heart and you feel that, man, I just can't get to this Jesus, like Dan's talking about all the time, let it be turned into hunger, desperation. God, I'm going to go after you with all I got. Put it on him. 
My own story is that. More or less addicted to alcohol because, man, I could feel free when I was drunk. It's just freedom. Ah, don't have to think about me. I don't have to think about what other people think about me. And self, 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 self. And so it was alcohol. I could just be free. I didn't care. Didn't care when I was drunk. But that's where the Lord came in and said, I can be far more satisfying to you than that drink, than that substance. And I remember putting it at Jesus saying, if you truly are, you have to prove yourself to me. And I went at him with all I had. Lord, I'm going to start reading your word. I'm going to start reading what I can get. Any, any, I'm bring friends around me that can actually instruct me in these things. Teach me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to humble myself. But if you don't show up, I'd rather be drunk. I'd rather be drunk. I'd rather stay in my addiction, no matter where that would lead to. But in that pursuit of him, he was faithful. He was faithful. He truly has been and continues to be in greater measure than I could ever think or imagine. He's been satisfied. More satisfying than that drink, for sure. <laughs> Wouldn't change it for the world. But you got to go after him. Got to humble yourself before him. You got to say, you got to embrace the offense of the gospel. Say, Lord, I don't have it. So here I am. I'm coming after you with all I got. So I want to pray for you. If that's you this morning, we're going to sing a final song. And then even as we finish up, we're, we're just going to invite, if you want to kind of Hang here, receive prayer. If your heart is like, yep, that's me. I'm kind of feeling troubled. Don't leave. Just press into prayer. And anyone here, like, if you're like, no, I'm good. Well, now you're part of the prayer team. Okay? So you got to step in, step up, pray for people, right? If you're good, then let God use you. For those who aren't feeling so good right now, we're all in it together. So let me pray for you, and we'll sing. God, I come before you on behalf of my brothers and sisters. And Lord, would you bring peace to the troubled soul? Lord, we are not interested in religious platitudes. Lord, we need you. We need you and only you. It's you or bust. So Jesus, I pray that you would come now in your kind grace as you've offended us by your gospel. Or you've shown us we are not what we should be, but now you stand with grace as a balm to bring upon our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you come now and be for us what our hearts are languishing for, thirsting for. Holy Spirit, come and fill up the troubled soul where there are doubts. Oh, Jesus, thank you so that you're so tender with our doubts, even as you were with doubting Thomas. As the resurrected Lord, you came and you said, here, here they are, Thomas, here are my scars. You can touch them. You can touch them. Lord, give us a touch of your presence. Let us come to you with our doubts and reach in and touch even the scars that 
that, that, that testify to the work that you've done on our behalf. Holy Spirit, come, come, come and make your presence known. Fill up our hearts. Let us behold, let us behold the glory of Jesus. Let our hearts dance, dance, dance on the truth of Jesus. Lord, lift us up like that helium balloon. Lord, lift up our hearts from troubled places to just soar on your peace and on your presence, we pray. Do this work, Lord. We look to you in desperation. We confess it's only you, you and only you. Have your place in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.